This is Michael Melfi, and welcome to the Be Investable podcast, a series where I speak with innovative individuals who share their insights about what it means to be investable. Welcome back to another episode of the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi, and today we have Steve Mazur on with us. He is the CEO of Ash and Erie. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And I, I know this has been long overdue for us to get on and talk. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to this. And finally, we get to talk about, about Ash and Erie. And I think for those people, obviously, I'm a big fan and, and know you guys well. But for those of you who don't know, can you tell us a little about what Ash and Erie is and what you guys do? Absolutely. So at Ash and Erie, we make clothes for shorter men. And our goal is really to be the first major brand specifically for guys 5'8 and below. If you look at the industry, you have big and tall men, you have plus size women, you have petite women. And shorter guys, 5'8 and below market is really the missing category in apparel. So my co-founder and I, we never find clothes that fit well. And goal is to design the best possible items for guys that are in our audience. Cool. Awesome. Well, you say we, so there's someone else involved, correct? There is. I have a co-founder, Eric. We actually met working together at the same startup in Detroit, Waymark. He was on the technical side. I was on the business side. And for us, it was a great way to learn what it takes to build a company. See, I mean, we saw them pivot multiple times. The team grew and shrunk and a lot of changes and tough decisions. But we, we learned quite a bit. We were excited about everything and decided to launch Ashenary after that experience. Awesome. And you, I invite different people on for all different reasons. And we're going to get to a couple. The first one I'm going to ask you right now, and the second one's coming down the road a little bit, a little surprise for our listeners. Uh-oh. You guys met in an interesting place. You guys went to, you guys went to a college, you were you're doing stuff with VFA and, and you guys got to connect, correct? That's how it, how it all started? Yeah. So Eric and I, we both, we went to college and studied two different places all the way across the country. We studied completely different things. But we both joined a program called Venture for America. They're a nonprofit based in New York, and their goal is to help revitalize the country through entrepreneurship. And what that really means is that they take recent college grads, give them a really great five-week training program, a ton of mentorship and support the whole way, and then place them at startups in these emerging cities. And so for Eric and I, we were placed at a startup in Detroit called Waymark. It was an advertising technology startup. And really, you're a full-time employee, you're working there, but you have this organization behind you to give you mentorship support, to provide a network, and to have really exciting training, which is really useful. When you're a small company and at a startup, you don't really have quite the big network that you, that you get at a bigger company. And so in some ways, it replaces that. So Eric and I met through that program while working at a company first. VFA has been super supportive of Ashenary since we've played a big part of our story. Awesome. And it, it's... So it's interesting. I was doing a little research. So they asked you to do something at, at Venture for America and you at the time called your girlfriend and asked her that question, correct? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the real founding story of Ash and Erie is that Eric and I were trying to come up with ideas of companies to start. We knew, you know, we joined Venture for America. We worked at a startup. We were ready for the next step in our careers and we knew we wanted to start a business. And we were thinking about different ideas and everything we came up with was so bad. I mean, it was just things that ideas and problems that we're just not the right people to solve and that we, we didn't really, we clearly wouldn't be the right entrepreneurs like, to do it. And it been, was, was your design uh, that stuck out? Like, was, I don't remember at this point, honestly, too much, but I think one was HR tech. Okay. And it's just a platform. Eric, for some reason, actually, Eric had had this idea for a few years around trying to prove the hiring and HR process, which is a, a real problem. And there's a lot of good solutions out there, but we're just, we just aren't the right people for that. We right. didn't understand the industry clearly enough. And then I think another one was 
similar to Ring, which was actually a Shark Tank company that just sold recently, you know, Bluetooth technology for homes, whether it be for locks or for doorbells, things like that, which again, we're not the right people for it. A lot of these products already existed. But eventually, you know, we, we, were, we were struggling. We were trying to come up with an idea. VFA was supporting us in starting a company. And one of our mentors said, hey, think about what are the problems in your own life? And I had texted my longtime girlfriend at the time. We're now engaged. So I give her a lot of credit for everything. And I said, what do I complain about the most? And I was with Eric. I wasn't with her. And she immediately replied that I hate shopping with you. And that was really the inspiration and the light bulb moment where I said, oh, that's true. I can never find anything that fits well. doesn't matter what store, what brand, you know, for most items, nothing fits right. If I'm lucky, you can go to the tailor and get it altered, but it takes a week. It's not quite right. It's a pretty bad experience. And Eric was even a few inches taller than me. He said he had the same problem. You know, I've never owned a casual button down because of that. And so that was a light bulb moment. That's when we went to our friends and family and other shorter guys and said, hey, we're thinking about starting this company, you know, clothes for shorter men. since Nothing works for us. And every guy we talked to said, oh, man, that'd be great. So I was thinking going to the tailor. It just blew our mind that, I mean, so many guys that we're speaking with are saying, yeah, every pair of pants I buy, I have to stop at the tailor and get them chopped off. And this is not how most guys shop. It's not the right way to do it. We looked at the options out there and there was nothing that really worked for us, nothing that could fit us right and lined up with it. And that was really the inspiration. Say, all right, why don't we go see if there's enough interest in getting this off the ground? And we launched an Indiegogo campaign. And we used a crowdfunding as a way to first start. And that was a really great way to continue to test the idea. We didn't just jump in right away. We had these things. We talked to people. We got market research that way. We had an Indiegogo campaign and raised $26,000 in a month. We had a few things that really helped us validate what we were doing to encourage us to keep going, keep dedicating more time and energy towards it. Awesome. Congrats on that. You know, so you did a crowdfunding campaign. Everyone looks to crowdfunding as this great solution. And you guys did significantly above average for a reward-based campaign to be at 26000 What do you attribute your success with that crowdfunding campaign to? I think there's a few things. I mean, the way we approached it, which I think is a really healthy way to do it, is saying, look, if we don't raise at least $10,000, we have to go back to the drawing board. We know that finding clothes is really challenging, but maybe there's a better solution. Maybe it's an online tailoring service. Maybe it's partnering with an existing brand and, and doing something differently. Who knows? But it was a way to say, if we don't get at least X, Y, Z amount, then why don't we go and rethink the ways to solve this problem? For us, I think two things. One was having a great video. You know, we, we were early, we didn't have any resources to go and pay anyone for like that. But having a really high quality video is helpful. And that's people really respond to that type of story. I think at the end of the day, the idea, you know, other short guys saw that and got really excited too. And then the second is we ended up being featured in the Indiegogo newsletter. And that was really helpful. So I think if, if you're thinking about a crowdfunding campaign, you know, speak with people at the company you're going to work with, whether it's Indiegogo, Kickstarter, or other ones, there are people there that are want to support you and want your campaigns to succeed. And we had built a relationship with some folks on the team and that's how we were able to get in the newsletter. So spending that time to talk to people at this platform, even though it seems like a big tech company that you might not know anybody at, I, I can guarantee if you sent five emails to people that you find from LinkedIn or anywhere else, you could build some relationships, get their advice on what to do to make your campaign succeed and then try to find ways to promote that even more. You know, I have to highlight that just for one second and I never know how the responses are going to go, but that resourcefulness is so basic, but it like literally probably made a huge difference in that, in that, in that crowdfunding campaign is being able to touch base and get on a newsletter. And like most people would never even think about that, but just that out of the box resourcefulness is so awesome. I, I got to imagine there was other issues like situations like that. Is there one that was your biggest challenge to date? Like there's one thing that's just been like, oh man, this keeps us up at night or that kept us up at night. 
<laughs> there, there's been a handful along the way. I think, you know, anytime something doesn't go right as a company, you're always thinking about how to improve it. I mean, every every customer email, whether it's positives and feedback or whether it's some criticism and things that they want to see differently or new items, you know, I still read that all the time. And that's what I think I focus on the most. You know, anytime a customer is unhappy for something that we can control, that's always especially uh, challenging. But I think for us, you know, in the early days, especially, you know, we're, we didn't have apparel backgrounds when we started. We understood how to build a company online. We really understood the growth and other aspects of it, but not apparel. And we surrounded ourselves with amazing mentors and advisors, and they're still working with us to this day, people that really understand the industry. But our first few orders, they were smaller than average. It was with new manufacturing partners. And sometimes things came and they weren't perfect. And, you know, we ended up having some orders come with buttons falling off. We had orders come that weren't the right fit. They used the wrong labels. I mean, so many different things. And we reject them. You know, we, we do our best to have good quality control and reject everything that's coming. But that was in the early days, especially being creative about, okay, how can we get you know, we're sold out. Customers want more clothes. What can we do to get them as soon as possible while maintaining our high quality standards? Mm-hmm. And that's such a tough balance because you have to keep growing. You have to have a business, but you also need to make sure your product is as good as can be. And I think for us, you know, a lot of those problems are behind us now, but they're, they're definitely things that we experienced early on. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think the other thing that I, I would ask you is in that process, so you had to do a lot of things. You, were, you alluded to this. You hadn't been involved in before. You went and got mentors. How did you go about picking your mentors or the advisors you were going to work? What, what was your selection process or was it whoever would raise their hand, that's who you went with? I think there's a couple things. So one is that we, Venture for America was the start, but we've found groups of people and different programs that are there to support you. So Detroit in particular, right? We, we joined Venture for America. We were part of that organization. We committed to working at a startup and being a part of that group. And it's a very competitive program. And But from the start, you know, that was a way to say, all right, we're going to sacrifice opportunities in big cities, making a lot more money at bigger companies so that we can work at a startup. But the benefit is that you do have the support system. Then shortly after we launched, we joined a tech starts program. It was a pre-accelerator they offered called Startup Boost. And that was a six-week program where every week you're pitching at night on Wednesday nights in front of a ton of investors and supporters and entrepreneurs and people that are just there to give you feedback. Completely voluntary, no equity taken. And it was a chance to just help refine our pitch, have more practice with it and meet really awesome people in the Detroit startup community. Then that summer, our first summer in business, we joined the Desai Accelerator. It's an accelerator out of the University of Michigan. Again, it's another group of people, another program that's there to support you. So I think from the start, we we knew how important network was and we knew how important it was to be part of these different programs and groups and things where there are people that want to help small companies. And at that point, once you have all these wonderful supporters around us, we can say, hey, here's the biggest need we have in the business. We really need someone that has designed a sweater before or designed a pair of jeans before or has worked at this company or has done that. And we can float it to our network. We can send an email out and get replies. I think more practically speaking, one of the best pieces of advice, well, two pieces of advice that we received from some mentors. One was that you have to ask for it. Don't be afraid to ask for something if you want it. And I think we were shy entrepreneurs when we first started. We moved on past a lot of that, but it can never hurt to ask. That is so, so true. And the second is when you're starting a company, a monthly email update is great. So in the early days when you have 25 people that know about your business and care about it and you have no product and you're just getting started, get in the habit of putting together a monthly email that you send to them. And then every time you talk to someone who might be helpful, 
as an advisor, as an investor, as a customer, it doesn't matter. Every time you talk to them and you meet someone that you'll probably never run into again or you know, maybe see them once a year, you say, hey, can I add you to our update email list? And almost always people say, sure, that's great. And then they get to hear about you. It's a, it's a good way to check in with people. And so then two years later, when you do want to talk to someone that they know and you remember they have a connection or you see they have a connection on LinkedIn, it's not like you're just reaching out after two years. They've been following you for 24 months. They know exactly what's happening with the business and they can read that. So sending a quick update email, here's the highlights, here's our lowlights, here's what's next, here's how you can help. Four categories, 30 minutes put it together once a month is a really healthy exercise for smaller companies to do that. We learned it from the Techstars program, Startup Boost. You know, we had all these things are things that people told us and other entrepreneurs told us that have been really helpful. So it, it seems like an overnight success, but when you start talking about all those programs you're in, have you been doing, it's not been days or weeks or months. It's been years of you guys working at this, right? Oh, of course. We've been full-time for over three years now and I mean, I think one of the best lines for startups in general, I love it. It takes 10 years to build an overnight success. And I have, you know, family and friends and people that have never started a company and, you know, some, they, they see us on, you know, something like Shark Tank and they see our you know, press come out. It's like, oh, are you guys, are you millionaires yet? Or they'll make a joke about that. It's like, it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. And there's, there's always so much more work that goes into it than what you see. And we've been fortunate and we're really excited where we're at as a business. But, you know, I don't think we plan on slowing down anytime soon. And it's not like it, There'll always be new challenges and new things to work on and new ways to improve. And that's great. That's exciting. That's what it should be. You know, we're, I love looking at how our products keep getting better and better. And I love hearing more and more customer stories and the fact that I can wear ashenary jeans and shirts in a day now. And I hope eventually it's you know, jeans, shirts, pajamas, sweatpants, underwear, shoes, socks, and more. And if we want to get there, we have to keep working hard and, and do a lot of this uh, behind the scenes work. That's awesome. And you, it's like you see the, see the, the questions in front of me. I, I want to ask you, you let it out of the bag. You got to go on the elusive shark tank to our listeners. <laughs> you know, they hear this mystique, this the mythical giant of shark tank, right? The pitch of all pitches. And you guys got to go do it. What, what can you share about? I mean, I know it's limited, but what can you share about that experience? Was there one thing you took away that was just like really memorable? I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those once in a lifetime experiences. You know, it's, it's insane to be out there, you know, the show you've seen on TV for so many hours and then you're there in person and it looks the same. You know, what I really like about Shark Tank and what I really appreciate now after the fact is that it's a very real show. The sharks had never heard our pitch before. That was the first time they were hearing it. What you saw on, on camera was actually how the conversation went. You know, the, the deals that we made and everything that happened. I mean, it's a, it's a real show. It wasn't like other reality TV that you might hear about where the producers are pushing you one way or the other. Like, it was an honest-to-goodness investor pitch. And I think what was so great about it is that we, you know, all these different programs I mentioned, Venture for America and the Techstars program and Desai, there's so many pitches and so many investor conversations that happen there that it felt like any other one. I mean, you have five people in a room that's, you know, obviously a little different and they're all celebrities, but it, it really didn't feel that different than your average investor pitch. And I really respect the show for you know, doing what they do. They're giving entrepreneurs a chance to raise capital from people and, and build their businesses. Then, and, you know, otherwise, we wouldn't have had a way to get in front of the Sharks. So it was a great opportunity, once in a lifetime. You know, we were able to get a deal with Mark Cuban on the air, which was, which was super exciting. And obviously, the exposure was very helpful, you know, being, getting Ashineering in front of so many different people around the country and even the world. You know, as a small business, you're always looking to try to increase that marketing. And we're very thankful for that. 
but at the same time, you know, it's, it's one of those exciting moments and it, you know, you have the exposure and you're on TV, but at the end of the day, we're, we're still a startup. We still have a long way to go and a lot of things we want to accomplish. And the day to day doesn't change. It's a fun moment, yeah. but we're still focused on making the best possible clothes and you know, building the first brand for shorter guys. And it, I'm sure some of our listeners will say, you got to ask him who's his favorite shark. I'm not going to go there and ask you that. Um, what, 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 did you get to I gotta say Mark I mean okay, come on okay. is there is there is there was there interaction or was it literally walk up pitch walk off or did you get to like have some interaction with them no it's walk up pitch walk off you yeah. know we it's it's a real investor pitch in that sense too right in the same way that when you'll meet with any other investor you don't really hang out and talk to them afterwards necessarily you know it's a first intro pitch and it's it's your one chance that you get and so obviously with mark's team he has a lot of people that support him we talk with them more afterwards and everything but it's what you see is really what you get with that show cool awesome awesome and and i know just from all my clients i've I've worked with that have gone through the process it's not a it's not an overnight vetting process it takes a while and it can be challenging so I, i i commend you for making it through that grueling process and then ultimately getting on the show and and getting a deal on air. So that's awesome. So congrats on that. Was there, was there one? I take- appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Is there one takeaway that you would say, I mean, you've got to do some amazing programs, right? I mean, when you, when you list off the programs, you just told, told, told the listeners about, is there one thing that resonates with you across to all those? Like if you look and say, Hey, how am I going to get through these 10 years that you, in your, in your language? Was there one thing you learned from all those programs going to allow you to get through to those 10 years to your 10 year goal of being an overnight success? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I mean, people are so important. One of the really cool parts about Shark Tank is that we ended up having a watch party when we aired and uh, we basically invited everybody we knew, you know, friends, family, supporters of the company, customers. We, you know, we had a, a big auditorium where we were showing the episode and it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, this is really, really cool to see all these people here in one place that have supported us. You know, whether it's as customers, whether it's as advisors or mentors or whatnot, I mean, these people don't have any ownership of the company. They're not making salary, whatever it might be, but everybody there had helped in some way or another, whether it be Indiegogo contributors, whatever. And so, you know, we've, we're a two person company for a long time. We didn't make our first hire until more than two years in. And I think that was the right choice. We wanted to stay lean and bootstrap and make sure we were being smart with our, our limited capital. But there were, I mean, there are dozens to hundreds of people who have been a part of the company. And that wouldn't be possible if we didn't have these networks and have these groups. But surrounding yourself with advisors, mentors, supporters, other entrepreneurs, people you can ask questions to. Even, I would say probably every day on average, I ask someone a question of, hey, how do you do X, Y, and Z? Or how do I get in touch with these people? Just any questions that I ask other entrepreneurs so many questions about how, how to do things. And that's really important. Having a strong network of people who have done it before or know how to do the things that you don't know how to do is super important for a small company. If you're a big company, you have teams for that. But as a smaller company, you can surround yourself with people that can fill in for you know, the expertise that you don't have. And there's so much that we don't know that we've had to do that quite a bit. Awesome. Couple more questions for you. I appreciate your time today. And you've done some fundraising. I don't want to get into the details of fundraising, but you've had the experience of going out to raise capital. Any advice for the listeners about about that process of going out to raise capital, doing the fundraising? Yeah, fundraising's tough. I think, you know, there's a especially in the early stage, there's a lot of articles and different things that are out there online. But again, one of the best things you can do is talk to other entrepreneurs. 
hey, how much did you raise? Who did you raise it from? What was that process like? Any advice? I mean, I, I still ask that question to folks all the time. You know, we have a long way to go. I'm sure we'll have to do more fundraising as part of our path. And so anytime I talk to a friend or someone who has raised capital before, or worked with investors, it's always good to learn. You know, what, what were your strategies for finding new investors? How did you best take advantage of your board of directors? You know, there's so many things that I just ask other people and try to learn from them because they've had more experience than I have. At the end of the day, I think, you know, from a strategy perspective, it's really tough to find investors. And I have a friend who recently closed around based in Pittsburgh. And I think something he told me is, you know, I ended up getting 100 rejections for every investor I found. And he brought, closed his first deal with a couple investors and had about 300 other ones say no. And so in a lot of ways, it's you know, the thing that he said he did, though, is like, that's a lot of people and a lot of time, but I think it's important to get people to a yes or a no really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. The right people will be excited about what you're doing. You don't, obviously, you want to go through a good due diligence process. You want to share as much information as possible with investors who are interested, but it's about finding the ones to get really excited about and finding someone to champion you and making sure you're being smart with the time that you're spending on that. And so I think that this is something I learned from my sales background a little bit when I was with Waymark, the previous company. You know, that gray area is dangerous. You want to quickly get folks to a yes or a no and move on. And it's not about you know, disrespecting anybody's time or anything like that, but it's just making sure that you have a limited time as a founder. There's so much you can do to build the company. So try to get a quick yes or a no for the folks that are interested. You know, Make sure you have your documents and everything else prepared so that you're not wasting anyone's time. And then you keep going. And it's just all about, again, using your network to find the right people and find the ones that are excited about what you're doing. Awesome. So last thing I'll ask you about the business is you're in Detroit. There's a lot of hype around Detroit. You happen to be in the, the garment. You're in the clothing business. You know, when people think fashion, they typically think New York, Paris, Milan. When they think manufacturing clothing, they don't necessarily think Detroit all the time. Although with some of the brands like Shinola and, and you guys, you're, you're making a name here in Detroit. What made you decide to stay in Detroit with the brand and continue to do stuff here? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, when we started, we knew we wanted to be a Detroit-based business and our name actually comes from the city. So Ashes from the city's motto will arise from the ashes and then Erie's a tribute to the region. And for us, you know, I think like always, you know, some people said, oh, you're crazy. Apparel in Detroit is never going to happen. But we think that you can look at brands like Shinola, you can look at other brands that are starting like Detroit is New Black and Detroit Denim. You know, there's there's a lot of brands that are showing, hey, Detroit's a really, the community here is supportive and it's a great city to build a business. And I think we're selling online. We have great mentors and supporters that have a lot of experience in the fashion industry. Some of them in Los Angeles, some of them in New York, some of them in, with us here in Detroit. And the reality is that I think you can build a brand anywhere. And we would much rather be in a city that has done so much for us and that has such a supportive community where we can stand out more so than one of those big hubs. You, you, of course, we need to have a network there, right? We have relationships in those cities. The industry is important. It's important to be by your industry. And we know that's the reality. But... Detroit has a wonderful community. It's a great place to start a business. And there's a lot of advantages from a hiring standpoint, just finding wonderful people. And from a cost standpoint, as you're getting started, that we, we definitely have no regrets and are really proud to be building in Detroit. And we're excited to show that you can, you can build a huge apparel brand here. And we hope that there's a ton more that start, whether for shorter guys or taller guys or any other groups of people. You know, We want to be the ones to hopefully prove like, hey, if you want to build a brand here, you can do it. Here's how we did it. Let's go and and help make it happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Steve, one last question for you. The podcast is called Be Investable. When you hear that, what does that mean to you? 
<laughs> I know you, uh, you mentioned that earlier as the most important question here. And I think at the end of the day, for us, it's really just about make sure you are surrounding yourself with the best possible people. I think uh, to most of the questions you asked, so many of the answers have been, you know, talk to folks and learn from them. And I think that the, the best entrepreneurs I know are the ones that did the same thing. And, you know, always, there's always an opportunity to learn from someone, no matter what their position, what their background. And, you know, so many people that are getting involved in startups just haven't done it before. So for first time founders wanting to be investable and, and grow, surround yourself with great people, ask them questions and just keep learning as much as you can since there's no better way to do that. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know it's been, a, I've been persistent about getting us together. I'm glad we finally reconnected. <laughs> and so I, I really appreciate your time and I look forward to Ashton Erie's continued success. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. The latest episode of the Be Investable podcast. Until next time, stay investable. In the meantime, check out our magazine by going to www.getinvestable.com forward slash magazine and subscribe for a free issue. Additionally, you can find more great content through our amazing media partners such as Cranes Business Detroit, Huffington Post, Michigan Business Network, Mishapreneur, Smart Hustle Magazine, and Startup Nation. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to talking with you soon.